Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering projects, DIY, manufacturing, industry news, and designing for laser cutting. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. And this is episode 366. I don't know why I did it that way. I was bored. You do it 365 times, you gotta spice it up sometimes. We, 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 we did come to the realization uh, just before the podcast that we you can now listen to an episode a day for an entire year and uh, not hit the same content that it's we decided that was slightly like it's not too bad of a war crime so it's not in the Geneva convention yet 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 yeah give give it a little bit longer yeah it, it actually equates to our episodes are on average about an hour long, so it equates to over 15 consecutive days of listening. So I challenge someone to do that. <laughs> if you could stay awake and listen to every single episode, you'll have the world record for being the human that stayed awake the longest. Yeah, yeah, we we, we looked it up before this. The, the world record is, uh, what, 11 days and 25 minutes. Ah, poor soul. What are you drinking there? Is that a white claw? Hey man, I'm uh, I'm 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 dodging the beer right now because of the uh uh the anti-belly um actions I'm trying to take right now. Is it peppermint flavored? No, nah, this is this is one of their lemonade flavors. Oh, it just looks like a peppermint, you know, stick. I, I I've lost almost 20 pounds since November. So Just drinking white claws. Uh, <laughs> no, well, no, actually, n- not drinking at all. But like, I wanted, I wanted something recently, and and uh, not beer related. So, yeah, it's uh, as you get older, if you drink beer, you get fatter. That's usually how it works, yeah. right? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm taking steps against that. So we got some uh, we got some news that we've been talking about every week, but we'll talk about it again. What's going on, Parker? Yeah, so. Uh... One, we completed our move into new MacFab HQ. That's all nice and good. And then uh, number two, May 4th, we're bringing back the MacFab Engineering Meetup. And it will be at new HQ as well. Um, details to follow, except it's on May 4th. And new HQ is like new, new. New, new you HQ, guys yes. Are basically just in there now. Yeah. Uh, we, we shipped... So we moved all our machines over the weekend and uh, the first board made in our new facility shipped out today. So hats off to the uh, entire team for getting everything up and running into some capacity that we could actually build boards. (laughs) Well, and and just because of when this podcast releases, uh, when you say the, 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 the machines moved over the weekend, that means that they were being set up on a Sunday and you're shipping boards on Tuesday. On Tuesday, yes. That, that's that's pretty impressive turnaround. Yeah. But 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 at your scale and how much stuff you have to do, that's you can't afford a full week off. Yeah. I mean, like I said last week, we built ahead on some orders, but this was like a, a, a new 10-day order and uh we got it out on time. So don't 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 tell the salespeople that you can build ahead like that because they'll just expect that's the new norm. Uh, I mean, they already do, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, you have to have some headroom in your yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, material for the uh, checker. So we're done with the news, I think, right? Yeah, May fourth, meet up, go see it. It'll be cool. So uh, the materials for the checker battery box I talked about last week, which is a uh, laser cut stainless steel box um, that's going to go into the trunk so you can put batteries and tools into it uh it unfortunately didn't show up on friday i got delayed um by fedex i think fedex anyways uh material showed up on monday so i did like a dry fit of all the panels and everything fit together really well like it just everything kind of just had like a slight friction friction fit so it's it's like perfect for welding TIG. Like there's like the panel gap is like measured in atoms. Because <laughs> if it was zero, it would just cold weld. 
right? Yeah, yeah. If it's perfectly zero and the edges are exactly flat. Yeah, they're just cold well together. But it's not it, that, you know, there's something in there, right? You have to you have to ring the whole box together. All right? all six panels at the same time. All, all the panels, yeah. <laughs> um. So tomorrow is when I'm going to try to start tigging it. I mean, I've tigged 306 stainless before, and so and I'm it it tigs just like steel, um, or enough like steel where I don't I can I can do it. Um, that was the whole thing. Like I made it out of stainless. or got it cut out of stainless, so I didn't have to weld aluminum. Now looking back on it, this box is way way heavier than I ever thought it would be. How heavy do you think it is? It's probably forty pounds, um, including the lid. You know, so you're thinking a twelve inch by twenty four inch by eight inch rectangle made out of eighth inch stainless why'd you go with eighth inch that's pretty hefty uh i don't know i didn't do any calculations it just sounded good for a heft factor for heft factor well i'm thinking of it like it goes into the trunk and it is like thin sheet metal in the trunk but like i didn't want the battery to just like fall out the bottom Hmm. so it was more of a like shooting from the hip material wise than in the actual calculation. And also like eighth inch is of the thickness of where like I am comfortable welding something like that. Um, yeah. Going thinner, I don't have a lot of experience with TIG welding, so. Eighth inch is, it would, it would be pretty hard to just accidentally punch a hole. It would be, you'd have to try. Yeah, you'd have to try. Um, yeah. So that, that, that was also part of the reasoning was like, oh, I've, I've I've welded actually a lot of stainless eighth inch before, so I'm like, ah, I can do. I know I can. That's within my realm of skill sets to do. Because mm-hmm. I'm still like struggling doing sheet metal work um, on the checker, fixing rust holes in the trunk. Which I'm glad I'm doing it there, and not like on a door panel. Because I'm assuming basically by the time I'm done with the trunk, I've will have gained enough skills to where like. I can do like the door skins just fine. We'll see though. I could also still be complete garbage. How, how much external body work do you have to do on it? Very little. Uh, oh, like okay. on the really on that people can see, it's really the corners of the doors. Hmm. Like the lower. So like if you're looking at the, at the door, the corner farthest away from the hinge at the bottom where like water likes to collect there in all cars. And that's where you typically see mm-hmm. rust. And, uh, and so it's got a little bit of bubble. And so I hit it with the wire wheel and it just, the wire wheel just ate right through the <laughs> sheet metal. <laughs> so, Oh, do you have to fabricate like a new piece of the corner? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just have to cut out, um, a piece of it and then put a new panel in. Just patch, patch it, it in. Yeah. I don't have to make a new skin. I don't think. Let's see once I dig into the doors. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to start taking it to all together um, and post pictures on, on Twitter and in the Slack channel, of course. Um, so, yeah, I wish I wish it came over the week because I actually had time this weekend to, like, do some welding at night. Hmm. That sucks. Yeah, that's what happens. I'm curious, how did you go about designing the like box joints? What was the uh, design criteria for that? Um, so I wanted everything to kind of interlock together. And uh, I watch a YouTube channel called uh, Super Fast Matt. He's a dude all over in uh, California that builds cars and stuff like that. Um, he, he's like built like a, te- a Tesla powered like 1930 something Jaguar. It's a pretty cool build. Um, hmm. But all his fabrication, it's actually how I found out about that company, uh, Send, Cut, Send. We've talked about them before. Basically, you send them a DXF and they send you laser cut parts. Um, he, he uses them to uh, basically do all his fabrication work. So he will get stuff lasered and then he welds it together. And he talks about using like finger joints and tabs, really like tabs to kind of like hmm. uh, hold your structure together. So you can tack weld it easy. So basically everything kind of 
fits together and self aligns. And then you can tack it together. And now you have your structure that's going to be within whatever tolerance you designed it in. Um, so he's built like suspension arms and that kind of stuff using this method. And uh, I've, I've used this technique in the past and it's worked out pretty well. But this is like the biggest thing I've ever made because it's like, you know, it's two feet long. Um, it's like, it's like what would be an American way of saying it? it? Well, I said feet already, but like, it'd be like, uh, a very small fraction of a football field. Yeah. I was actually calculating out how much of a football field it would be. <laughs> <laughs> One hundred and fiftieth. Two, three hundred. Long. Of, two, two, three hundred. Of a football field. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's actually quite a big box and, uh, and that, that was actually the good thing is everything just slide slid together with a slight friction fit, which was ended up being perfect. Um, so like that big barbecue that we haven't laser cut out yet, I'm waiting for, um, I'm, ba- I'm, I'm working on building my new house basically. And so when that is done, that's when like, I'll have space to actually fabricate something that big. That smoker yeah. is like, like six feet long and weighs eight hundred something pounds. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I just have no place to actually weld that here. Um, yeah, at my current place, uh, you you need like a giant fabrication table for that. Yeah, sounds like it sounds like you need a project for a project to get a project done. Make a big fabrication table. Yeah, because yeah. I only have so like a two foot barbecue. by five foot table. Which is that's probably like in just enough to do if that's the only thing on it. Yeah. Well, right now it's like half of it's like my TIG stuff too because I don't have a TIG cart. Yeah. I need I need to build a TIG cart. <laughs> I've got the one that you got me for my birthday last year right here. Oh, the yeah, because that has a cart built into it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like it has like a shelf in it and yeah. a upper topper section. Uh, once. So I'm rearranging my basement right now, and uh, once I have a permanent spot for that, my first welding project with that is to actually build a clamp that I can clamp the um, my uh, bottle to it, so I can integrate the my gas right into this cart. Because right now my bottle, I just have to move it by hand and set it where. Yeah, I'm, uh, and welding. hopefully your dog. I don't like that, and it's not a no, It's not OSHA approved. Yeah, right? hopefully your dog doesn't bump into it or something. Yeah, and I don't have it chained to a wall or anything like that, so I have to just put it in a safe-ish location in my basement right now. Yeah, but I'd I'd like to have it like strapped to the cart. That would be that'd be ideal. ideal yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna weld it up and uh, see how it goes. Oh yeah. Oh, so the fingers, uh, the or the tabs. Mm, yeah. Um. So what? super fast matt recommended and you actually mentioned that Sencut sen has like a whole thing on like recommendations on this um i didn't know that yeah i was i was looking at their website today and and i noticed that and and i was going to ask you if you followed their recommendation but it sounds like you went with this other guy yeah so uh, what i did is i'll draw the uh like everything to be a touch fit or interference fit so like clearance is zero right uh, so I draw everything that way and then I go back and I make the um, tab side so that the tab part um, five mils smaller. Okay. Okay. Actually, no. Is it, is it tab side? No, I do the slot side. You basically just offset the line. By actually, I think that it's actually the slot side. I make it five mils off. Okay. Um, five mils bigger. Yeah, five basically. mils bigger. So it won't technically don't touch. And that seems to be just enough clearance with whatever lasers Senkut Sen uses to make it work fine. I don't know what... I need to look, see what Senkut Sen recommends, but I'm going to bet you it's in that ballpark. I just glanced at it today. I think they recommend a ten thou gap all around, so you're half that. Okay. Which 
if it works for you, it works for you. And and I so I've run into this before with lasers. One of the things about them is that it just it, it depends on the laser itself, but you can get a, a rough edge. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of places, uh, when they ship you stuff that's acceptable, you have to work that out with them. So perhaps that's why Senkatsend is suggesting 10,000. That might be a CYA number. I mean, 10,000 already pretty low yeah it's, you're talking about five thou that's that's effectively a friction fit when you talk about the extra laser i mean the edge can isn't necessarily perfect yeah that's probably why it's frictiony yeah it, it actually works great because i've always done five uh five thou or five mils and uh always been worked out really well for me um so let's keep this topic of car stuff real quick um, I, I yeah. did think about doing this topic at the end, but my printer just finished the first part I've ever made for my next project car. Oh, um, what is it? My next project car is a, I picked it up this weekend. It's a 2021. So it's, it's honestly brand new. It's got like a thousand miles on it. Chevy Express 4500, which if you don't know what that is. It's a, it's a van. And the 4500 Express is like a Chevy van. 4500 means it's a ton and a half chassis. It's a, it's a beefy chassis underneath this van. So like the front part looks like a normal van. And then it's got like a big old FedEx box in the back. So let me go pull like the part. It's like a U-Haul. Yeah, it's basically a U-Haul. Yeah. You know, big, uh, a big monster box truck. Because, you know, <laughs> Parker needs another car to work on. But uh no, th- this this project is to haul around your other car. That's actually exactly what oh, it okay, is. Okay, so pa- Parker just pulled off a, a part off of his 3D printer. What what is it? Let me let me describe it. It's it's a flat rectangular piece with a big circle cut in the middle. Yeah. So the um, no one really makes. So these are Chevy Expresses and like the GMC equipment, which I think is like a Savannah or something like that. Or it's not Sierra. Um, they're work vehicles, okay? So no one really makes like aftermarket performance parts for these. They make aftermarket work parts. Um, so one of the things I want to do is I want to t- turn it into a tow rig so I can haul my Jeeps around and that kind of stuff. So, um, and also I want to camp in it. So I have a box I'm going to convert to an RV and so I can camp in it, tow my Jeeps around, all the fun stuff. Um, and so one thing I want to do... You drive your Jeep to the destination so you can drive your Jeep. Yes. That's exactly what I want to do. It's not as crazy. A lot of and, people do and, this. And it, yeah, yeah, sure. It, it also acts as a unique uh, sleeping situation for you. I mean, yeah. you're going to deck out the, the, the box part of it to be able to sleep in it. Yes. Yeah. It's going to have like bunks in it and then like a kitchen and then like a place to like, you know, pee and poop. So... <laughs> Um, so this is what I printed was, so uh, I was getting to it is no one makes performance parts. So like most people would, let's say if you had a truck and you wanted to add an aftermarket gauge, you would go to one of the big aftermarket people and be like, I need a gauge pod that fits my truck. And a pod is basically a thing that a gauge goes into and you could buy one. And they, a lot of like trucks have like, Ones that just replace, like, you can get one that's, like, integrated into, like, a piece of your dash. So, it like, looks OEM. No one makes anything like that for a work truck. And so, in the dash of the Chevy Express, there's a lot of inserts where, like, you can put, like, switches. And this is a work truck. So, like, there's, like, no options besides, like, air conditioning and a radio. And so, like, it, all of them are, like, blank. <laughs> So nice. I pulled them out and I measured one up and I made a gauge. So 52 millimeter or I think it's like two and a half inches or two and a eighth or something like that. It's 52 millimeters uh, gauge adapter for the truck. And so it's got I, I, I'm going to have to tweak these. These are I, I, I printed like because uh, it was like it has like tabs that flex clip in fingers clip in. And so I'm going to have to tweak that. I, I went off the measurements off the original part that's injection molded ABS. 
that's not going to work with polycarbonate. I'm going to have to tweak those numbers to make it work eventually. It will work. I don't know how long it'll work for. Uh, at least it will clip in once. I don't know if it'll ever clip in a second time if I have to remove it. But that's all you really need, right? Yeah, I mean, you just print another one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how often are you going to be pulling that thing in and out? Exactly. It goes in once. Um, so I printed it up. I'll, I'll post pictures. Um, so you can see like, the little fingers right here. Uh, I'll yeah, post yeah, the pictures. Yeah. Um, it's like most people listen to our, our audio and trying to visualize something i guess uh to them yeah little little tab fingers that clip into something yeah, a little plastic on the dash so we'll see how yeah. well this works out i'm gonna bet you it doesn't work the first try because it's a compliance plastic fitting and it was never worked the first try when you try to 3d print them so. 3d printing is a bit um uh it's a bit how you doing when it comes to like flexing and getting it to flex in the same way that injection molded does. Like you, you, you it just doesn't play by the same. Yeah, it plays by different rules and I'm using a completely different plastic. I'm using polycarbonate, not ABS. Um, yeah. Which I found out that um, most people have moved away from printing ABS. Now that was like when I started 3d printing, it was either PLA or ABS plastic, but apparently ABS plastic, like off gases, something like, obscenely toxic so you don't want it near your 3d printer or near you when it's 3d printing hmm so is just pla the no weapon no they use now? like pet g now is like the, oh. the what do you so, say so, weapon uh, of choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah pet, pet, pet g isn't that uh like um uh two liter bottle material yeah i think so yeah um okay well so I, I do polycarbonate because right? I do like a lot of uh, fixturing and, and uh, bracketry and stuff. Um, so this is going to be way overkill for something to hold a little tiny gauge. And actually, I think I have a, a gauge on my other bench. And of course, it doesn't fit. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. <laughs> All right. I already got to reprint another yeah. one. Well, it needs to be 53 mil. It probably does. Right? I just actually, I think I just did 52 and I forgot about the uh, extrusion factor I had to put into there. Oh, well, at least I can mess well, with the clip part. Yeah, I was about to say you could you, you you've already said it's probably going to need another round. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's cool. This is the first part for that project. Nice. It, it's it's weird. I started making like I always have this like running list of like everything I need to do um, for my project cars. Like the the red Jeep is virtually done. It has like one, maybe two things that are like nice to haves in the future. If I'm like, you know, maybe like I can't work on anything else. I will go do those things now. On this, it's like I I drive that car every day. The wagon, it's got a decent list. Um, but it's in a good spot in terms of like I drive it also every day. It's functional, it's functional really well. Um, I actually think that's my favorite car to drive because I it's like a, the term is literally called a shit box. It's a shit box. <laughs> it's like it's beat up. Yeah. You can just drive it. You don't have to care about it. You change the oil in it and make sure the air like it has gas in the tank and it just keeps going. Um, and then the checker is like a million miles long list, right? And uh, it's that 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 one's got years on it. I'm hoping not years, but yes, it's going to be quite a while. It's been years so far. I didn't start it until last fall. I think you started when you bought it. I didn't really. Um, <laughs> I did work on it a little bit, but I started working on the other two Jeeps. Um, Right. So it really was in hi like hiatus for like two and a half years. Um, whereas now, so I'm doing, I did the same thing. Even before I even bought this, this box truck, I was like building the list and stuff. It's really weird not having like mechanical things, like making sure like, like having to do a suspension rebuild or ball joints or like harmonic balancer replacements. Like, no, you bought a thing that works. Yeah, it just works. Like, 
Yeah. It, it's it's weird. Because <laughs> this is the first time I've ever owned... <laughs> no, this is like the first time I've ever owned a new... It's honestly a new car or a new truck. We, we, we were kind of joking about it earlier because our rule on the podcast is we don't talk about something on an episode unless we're already 50% or further along complete with the project. And just purchasing this car counts as 50%. Yeah. It's it's really weird to think about that way, but yeah, it's like it's it's a truck, it has wheels that spin. It has a it has a warranty from the factory. <laughs> <laughs> and it already has the and a thousand miles. And on. it already has a box on the back. So I'm like, yeah, it's already technically like so I had to um you had to get insurance for your cars. And so this is an interesting story. And uh, so it's a 4,500. If you go to any insurance company out there and do their online, like, give me a quote thing, they a Chevy Express 4,500 doesn't exist in their platform um, because it's considered a, basically, it's either an RV or a commercial vehicle at that point. Like, they either turn those things into box trucks or RVs. And... Uh, so I had to go and get a like special commercial license for it. Not not a license, commercial uh, insurance, insurance for it. Like your 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 regular driver's license. My my regular five, driver's license, right. at least here in Texas. Well, my Texas driver's you license. You don't need a CDL. I don't need a CDL for it. It's under the uh, it's under the weight limit, and I don't use it for commercial purposes like it is going to be for this, this is the this is the car that spans that gap between uh your your like your regular driver and commercial like it's yeah. that's why it's like effectively a u-haul yeah it's effectively a u-haul um i did joke with the insurance person because commercial insurance costs more even like i got a special plan that's basically like it's commercial, but it's not commercial because I'm not going to use it. I don't have a dot number for it. Um, and it's only going to be me driving it. So that's the whole thing with commercial insurance is it could be you have to kind of insure everyone in your company that's going to drive it. And that jacks your rate way up. Way up. So my rate for it wasn't too bad. It ended up being $1,000 basically a year, which isn't terrible. But when you look at it as I insure all my other vehicles for that same amount. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. Eh. And, and at the same time, if you look at it, this isn't a daily driver. It's not. This is it a, sits in the driveway. A, a specialty vehicle for you. Yeah. So I was joking with the insurance person. I'm like, so like when I, when I convert it to an RV, I can insure it as an RV and the rate will go way down. But I was like, so what does that entail? Like, can I just like toss a cot in the back and it counts as an RV? And the guy's like, no, <laughs> he, he did not want to joke around. Um, apparently, when, basically, when I convert it, I have to send pictures and they have to prove that it is now an RV. Oh, OK. Yeah. I had basically have to have like someone come out and look at it, um, which is not too big. Just a deal. Make it looks like, nice in there. Put put. Put drapes up and yeah, and I'm gonna put nice windows in it. In there. It's gonna have air conditioning <laughs> in the box, probably a heater, beds, a kitchen, you know, all the stuff that you need to enjoy the great outdoors. I I I love the fact that you could, well, not you, and don't take this as an offense. A normal person could buy an RV. Or Parker could buy a box truck and convert it into an so RV. The, I kind of love that. So that that's actually where's the problem. Um, RVs, the boxes on RVs are really, really heavy. Because um, mm. there's a lot of sound, like deadening and stuff. Because they're, they're designed to be more of a home on wheels. So it's supposed to be like quiet and comfortable. Uh, so the suspension's really soft. Because of all that stuff, your tow rating, your gross combined weight rate, uh, weight rating gets eaten up by all that other stuff. And then that combined number is lower because your suspension is softer. Whereas you flip it around, you look at a commercial box truck and sure, I'm going to put stuff in the box, but it's like, I don't care if it's loud in the box. It's 
we're going, it's going more of car camping instead of RVing. Like I'm using it as a base camp effectively. Right. Um, and so, and that's just the thing. It's, it's more camping than it is. Yeah, it's going to be living. way more camp. It's comfortable camping. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, than actually RVing. Um, and also because of that, it's like, it has a, it has a commercial level like suspension. So it's rigid. So you get a much higher, uh, gross, uh, combined weight rating. And so now you so instead of now towing 4,000, 5,000 pounds, you can tow 10,000 pounds. And that uh, only sounds like 5,000 pounds, but when your Jeep weighs 4,000 and a trailer weighs a thousand something pounds, like an aluminum trailer is like 1,700. And so Mm -hmm. like a car trailer. And so it's like, that's a really expensive aluminum lightweight trailer. You're already past that that five thousand limit, and so it's like, okay, what's your options for our for off shelf RVs? You're kind of looking at um, basically buying a semi truck that's been converted called a totter home, and those are like starts at like 120k. Like there's like no mm-hmm. other option. Like even used ones, and then you also get into like big rig diesel stuff which is like, I had to go buy a whole new set of tools. Like everything, I had to get new tools. Just seem to work on it. Uh, it's just a different paradigm. Yeah, just a completely different paradigm. And then, so then there's one other option, and it's get what's called a super class C, which is honestly what I'm building. It, they're built on like a Chevy Express 4500 platform, but the shortest super C you can get is like a 28 footer RV, which is like ends up being like 30 something feet long because like they measure like the box length, right? Um, this is an 18 foot box, which makes the truck like 24 ish feet long, which isn't terrible. I wanted to keep it to like 20 feet. And actually, what happened was I got a really good deal on an 18 foot box instead of a 14 foot box. <laughs> and that's just how it worked out. Um, yeah. So basically I'm going to make a super class C truck camper thing. It, it just, it checks all the boxes you were looking. Yes. For. And like it hit the right price point. Um, it's something that I can just go use right away. All that good. It's all it got all the good stuff. Um, funny enough is like me just 3d printing this thing was just kind of like something I want to do just to start playing around with actually learning how to do like compliance 3d printing finger bendy things. Yeah. What's the actual term for compliance? What's it called? We, we talked about this on the podcast before. There's a special name for this for like, Snap fit fingers. Yeah, there's a special name for it. Ugh, I don't. I don't remember. It's not living hinge. That's something. It living hinge is closer to it though. Um, why can't I don't remember? Because didn't uh, AVE have a thing about this too? Oh gosh, with AVE, he probably does. He's got a bunch of. But he did talk about this. Yeah. Um. I can't remember anymore. You know that uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if this exists. I haven't seen it, but a a design guide for hinges or plastic injection molding connections like that would be really awesome. Even if it was just like a couple page white paper of just ideas of of designs, that would I would love to see that. If anyone knows of that, shoot me a link. So, um, first thing is to get the, actually a tow hitch put on it. Yeah, and then, you're trying to do that this weekend, right? Going to try, going to try to, because then basically I get that set up, and then I can weigh it, and then figure out where my starting point is of like the weight of. Figure out basically how much I can. So then you can figure out how much crap you can haul around. Well, no, that's the thing is like, <laughs> I want to be able to tow. 
10,000 pounds, including the trailer. And so the, um, oh, thank you, Metacolin. It's called Compliant Mechanisms. Hmm. I was half, I, I knew compliant was part of it. Um, so like I want to tow 10,000 pounds and then the, the gross combined weight rating of this whole setup of this truck is 20,000 pounds. So you take 20,000 minus 10,000, you got 10,000 left. So the entire truck and everything in it can't weigh more than 10,000 pounds. Because mm-hmm. if you go over that, uh, the dot will not be very happy with you when you get pulled over and you have to go on a scale. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because there's a lot of basically once you get this big, um, you can basically be audited on the road. <laughs> they just tell you to pull over into the weight uh, weight scale. Right. So. It's also good to know like you're in within the safety ratings of the manufacturer, right? The manufacturer is saying twenty thousand pounds. You gotta make sure you're in there, and. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't want that to be a gray zone area. No, you don't. I, I'm for the automotive stuff, I'm very like by the books in terms of like safety rating stuff. Um, I don't like skirting the law at all. Especially because that's like it's it's not just it's not just your life on the line. It's like if you were on like a race car, sure, do whatever the hell you want, right? Because you're on a closed course, it's it's your life on the line, right? But when you're flying down the freeway hauling 20,000 pounds of crap, it, that, it, there could be a school bus full of nuns, right? <laughs> That's oddly specific. <laughs> but yes, you, there, there could be. There's a and, lot more at stake than just your life. So it's, yeah, it's good right. to be uh, uh, thinking about that kind of stuff all the time when you're doing a build like this. Because when you look at like what people build, uh, like... and. It's called like, quote, van life, unquote, um, builds like this. Like half the people have no idea about any of these laws. It's like scary what people build and do. So that's why I was like, I need a big ass truck because <laughs> I need to tow. You know, I need something that's going to safely tow my Jeep around. So I'm like, OK, it, 10,000 pounds is the limit. So, like, what is what truck do I need to get to there? And, like, yeah, a, like, Chevy 1500 pickup truck could probably easily tow that. But then you're missing out the RV parts. So then you put a camper on it, and now you're overweight. And so then you're like, okay, I'll need to get a bigger truck. <laughs> and just Well, hopefully you can out. be an example of someone doing it right. You know? I hope so. Yeah. Because, I, I, you know. Obviously, you'll be talking about it here, and it'll be all over Twitter and everything. Yeah. So. Oh no, there's a lot of people out there that do it right. It's just uh, a lot of people don't do it right. Yeah. And a lot of people yeah, don't yeah. really know and what they're talking about either about a lot of the stuff. It's like anything on or the what phone. they're getting into. Yeah. Well, it's like everything with like online forums where like half the people was well, just uh, it's like Viper Forty Two saying something. And, ha- and everyone takes this gossip, and it might be the most completely wrong thing ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, that is uh, yet another car and yet another project. But hey, at least this, this one's uh, at least this one's functional when you got it. It runs and drives. Yeah, it drives when you got it and stops. You don't have to do anything to make it work. It has a warranty. You just have to do things to make it better. It has a war- I can take it to a dealership and they fix it for me. <laughs> I'm lo- <laughs> on Sunday, I like had a minor panic attack about that. That I was like that that you might not be the one fixing yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I just like, I'm like, Parker, it's not a big deal. Like, everyone does this. You're, I'm like, Parker, you're the weirdo here. <laughs> yep. And all was okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I mean, you've, you've mentioned also strapping the Jeep and driving it up my way. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see it when it comes up here. I can't wait. I, I'm just, yeah. Okay, let's let's move on from this topic. 
we got we got another big old topic here. Well, and and I'm going to flip topics around because we were just talking about 3D printing and kind of compliance hinges. And uh, so a few weeks ago, I designed a uh, 3D printed cable management tool device little thing for 8020 uh, extruded aluminum. And uh, I printed a few before I even got any of my 8020 in. And uh, so I, I I have some. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to hold it up to. Yeah, camera here for the live stream and we'll, we'll post some pictures of it but uh the prints all came out really great and as soon as i got my 8020 and i i tried them out and i'm excited because they work really fantastic these these little clips basically it it it's got these tabs that hold on to the inner rail of 8020 and uh and, and basically give you a zip tie location. So my goal was just to make something that was easier than a lot of the other designs I saw out there for cable management. I mean, like if you go on Thingiverse and stuff, you, there's plenty of designs out there. And I'm not, I, I don't want to crap on any of them, but they all just seem to be m more difficult than I think it needed to be. Like I wanted to make a single piece that was really easy to uh, just connect to your 8020. So th this, this first revision of the piece actually works pretty well it uh, slides into the uh, the rail and gives you a nice little zip tie location the uh the thing i'm gonna have to change about it is it's a bit too tight right now i i kind of overshot things and it's just too stiff it's it uh, once you get it in there what's nice is you can slide it through the rail of the 8020 and it just sticks in place once you get it there the problem is getting it into the rail is not the easiest thing so uh, I'm going to adjust it so it doesn't grip as hard. So effectively what I did was I just designed it tighter than the thickness of the 8020 such that the piece itself has to flex and just grip onto the rail. And I think I gave it, I don't know, 15 thousandths of flex is what it had to do. Something something of that sort. And with, uh, with the PLA I'm printing with, it's just it's too aggressive. So getting it into the rail is difficult because the original intent with, with this was to be able to push it into the slot of 8020 and then you rotate it and it kind of just slides into position and holds itself. You can't do that with this prototype. Uh, it, you just can't get it in there and rotate it. It's just too tight. If you slide it in from the end of the 8020, you, you can because it's just easier for it to get it to engage with the, the rails so the uh yeah i need to make it just basically flex less I, which will make it less strong but it just it doesn't need that much strength in terms of gripping onto the rails it just needs enough to hold a zip tie and the cables so um the other thing that i want to do with this is add little spots on it where you can basically put your fingers on it and rotate it because i realized once once i actually had 8020 in hand once you've put it into the slot you have not even an eighth of an inch of material to get your fingers on and rotate it so you just you can't do that without hurting your fingers effectively so I, i'm gonna add i don't know some bulbous little areas that are just big enough that you can get your fingers on it or perhaps i'll design a 3d printable tool that you can slide the tool over it and then rotate and it, it and take the tool off and then maybe even a tool that engages with the zip tie slots and allows oh, like you to like rotate a, it into a position. J hook kind of thing. Yeah, something like that. Um but regardless the overall shape and everything works great. So effectively all that needs to change is I need to make it less tight. Um so that's nice. Um I'll be uh I'll be doing some prints over this uh in a I don't know sometime soon it's not super critical right this minute but uh as soon as i get this done i'm gonna throw it up on thingiverse for everyone but the main thing i wanted to talk about and we mentioned this last week is that i finally got all of my aluminum extrusions in for my new cnc build that i've been doing which for those who don't know i don't know five six months ago something like that i finally made the call that I was going to redo my CNC game at home and just get rid of my old one and start a whole brand new CNC. And uh, a lot of that was driven by some things at work and, and some, uh, and the ability I had to use some of the, uh, my machines at work in order to cut aluminum that would work for the CNC that I'm, I'm building now. 
And uh, so all the I ordered the extrusions late November, and it took until mid January, late January for them to come in. And I've kind of been trying to savor them in a way because uh, I, I got them in and I didn't want to just build everything all at once, mainly because the with this CNC project, it's I'm just extending it over the year, mainly because I don't want to just drop all the money all at once. I kind of have to build up my toy fund in order to uh, build this CNC out. So I've been trying to go fairly slow at, at building everything. On top of that, we've had a few uh, we've had guests on the podcast and things like that. So I've had these extrusions for a few weeks now. And last weekend, I finally built up the whole frame of the CNC, which, gosh, I use mainly 4040 uh, style, 4040 millimeter style and 4080 style, 8020 extrusions. Um, the, the 4080 extrusions were for the top uh, basically the bed of the CNC and then I use 4040 for all the legs and the gussets and the 45s and, and things like that. And it was all bolted together with brackets that um, I was luckily able to cut on our CNC at work, which when I first started looking at this, the design for this CNC, um, the original design came from a Fusion 360 design that I had in my catalog, but I didn't have it was just the frame, not the frame, sorry, the bed of the CNC, not the actual frame. Once you start adding up all the extra frame elements and the hardware and the brackets, especially the price goes through the roof. Um, a lot of times you don't necessarily consider how much just the, the, the table costs no, no. and it can add up really fast. Fasteners and brackets are, yeah, they don't. They add fast because so this uh, the the Chevy Express is the first project. I'm actually going to keep track of all that, and I'm really scared. Oh, geez, yeah. Because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. instead of like brackets and fasteners, usually it's um like if I have to make a hose, okay, a pressure hose. The thing is, a pressure hose, the hose itself is like thirty dollars for this the material for the hose, plus mm -hmm. the hose ends. And hose ends are like $15 a piece. Mm -hmm. And then you have the fitting that it screws into because you have to usually adapt like whatever weird crap that GM used. Like it's going to be some metric thing. And you need to adapt it to like an AN style fitting so you can make your hose. So yeah, it's like I'm going to actually keep track of all that with this build and just see how much... Like how much loss is there in your accounting when you don't calculate that stuff? Oh yeah, it's a bit scary. That like I'm looking at my my bill of materials. I've been keeping some rough bill of materials for for this build, and I'm looking right now. It's saying I've got 42 brackets on it. And if you go if you go search for for brackets on like Amazon, or or if you go directly to eighty twenty, which which is going to be the most expensive, you can you can easily spend twelve fifteen dollars a bracket, and I've got and on top of that, each one of those brackets has six to eight screws or bolts, and then you have the T nuts that go inside of that. It adds up incredibly fast. So so I was lucky that I was able to do, to design and cut my own brackets. So basically all 42 of those were effectively free for me because we had excess aluminum that was just scrapped. And so I just cut those into, uh, into the brackets. Now the fasteners were not. And whenever I did my big fastener buy for this thing, it was, that's the one where like, you, you, of course you, in your head, you add up like, Oh, these are my linear rails and these are my extrusions and these are all, and this is the cost of this. Oh man, this thing is going to be great. And then you don't realize that you have $450 worth of screws to buy, you know, like it <laughs> to just, put yeah. all those rails onto the 80, 20. Yeah. 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 Like it adds up really fast, you know, and some of the stuff I did buy from McMaster, which, you know, yes, that's the expensive route, but that's also like the easy route. Like you just click it, you get what you want you get uh, and that's there but and, and at the end of the day i i have i've somewhere in the order of 600 fasteners um on on this thing for all the all the pieces all the brackets all the all the whatnot so yeah yeah all, all, all that to be said 
last weekend I was actually able to devote uh, devote the time to finishing everything. So I've got the whole table built. I've got everything thrown together, and I've got the gantry mounted up on the uh, on the CNC. All the all the linear rails are are there for both the X and the Y axis, and and the Z axis is um, is effectively complete. But that's about where I'm at right now. So I just have like I have a big table sitting in my basement. Uh, the next steps for for the CNC is to get the drive electronics and to get the ball screws. Well, re- mainly it's it's the ball screws because I have the ball screw for the Z axis, which is just a 300 millimeter short guy. The other ball screws are my X and Y axis, which um, the X axis I'm doing a dual drive because the gantry is pretty damn heavy. Uh, I, I don't want this thing to have any, like, I don't know, odd flex in it. So I'm going dual drive on that. You don't want any R and those are, in your XYZ. Yeah, I don't want this to accidentally turn into a fourth axis CNC. It needs to be <laughs> just just a regular <laughs> three axis. Uh, yeah, so so 2,000 millimeter ball screws. And, and so I, I'm going with the SFU 2010 ball screws. And, and mainly that's... Fr- Frankly, because I don't want to spend a gazillion. You got to educate on, like, me on what really that means. Really good Twenty ten. It means 20, uh, 20 millimeter diameter, and the ten means uh, ten millimeter pitch. So one rotation means that the ball screw advances by ten millimeters. Which, if you if you connect that to a standard stepper motor uh, that has two hundred pulses per rotation, divide ten millimeters by two hundred, it ends up being about. A, just just a hair under two thousandths of an inch per pulse at one micro step uh basic and and these are all like super ideal numbers of course like y- that's not including any kind of error in your stepping and and it's also not including any micro stepping um, or or the uh so i, I want the ten millimeter bearing. yeah well and Here. that's just the thing so i designed all of this around like what I need it to do and what I have to spend on it. And I know on top of that availability of, of things like you can, when it comes to things like ball screws and linear motion, the sky's the limit in terms of how much you want to spend on it and like what accuracy grades you can get. But the thing is like, if you're just trying to get simple parts that are readily available off the shelf, you're pretty much guaranteed to get the low grade stuff. And so when I was originally designing this machine, I'm, I'm asking myself, okay, so for this price, can I actually accept the low grade? Will that, will that be problematic in my, uh, in my end cuts? And so the, most of the grades that you can get from just like eBay, Amazon, that kind of stuff, end up being your C7 grade ball screws, which uh, if, if, if I remember right, that's, that's 50 micrometers per 300 millimeters, which in freedom units that's two thousandths of an inch in just a little under 12 inches uh of allowance of error so that, i mean that's not terrible right uh, that, i think that's totally reasonable and i'm cutting wood at the same time like two thousandths of an inch is fine so i i realize that that the c7 grade is more than good enough for what I'm trying to do with everything. So luckily I can buy the inexpensive stuff and just deal with the, whatever kind of inaccuracies I get on top of that. If I really want to get into it, my software that I'm using Mach three has a ball screw. Uh, what do they call it? Characterizing mode where you can step it, measure the, uh, the offset and it'll identify errors throughout the entire hmm length of the ball screw so it can adjust itself it can it can basically have non-linear travel throughout the entire machine i don't know if i even care about doing that um i just the the act of measuring it might introduce more error than yeah, how do you measure it that's what i was thinking how do you measure that right it, it ends up yeah it ends up being a, an exercise in like how good are you at measurement are you good enough at measuring two thousandths across 12 inches that's that's actually pretty hard to do. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if I I would even care about uh, about doing that. Um, and on top of that, my, my whole goal is I want to build the machine, see how accurate it is, and then address that effectively. Yeah, these machines are actually really difficult to 
in my opinion. They're, they're difficult to predict beforehand in terms of if you're trying to save money. If you're not trying to save money and you're just willing to throw money and get the best stuff, then you can you can spend the time calculating and get every get every bit of resolution that you want. But for for me, I'm not trying to spend all of the money that I have on this. So um, effectively, I'm 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 going with the C7 grade for the SFU 2010 ball screws, and I chose 2,000 millimeter because I'm going with a five foot by five foot bed, which there's there's arguments about if that's a good ball screw or not. I, I it, when you when you're at 20 millimeter diameter, that's a that's pretty low for two meter travel mm-hmm. and you start to get into problems with with ball screw whip yeah where it wobbles uh, around where it wobbles around yeah like a like a like a jump rope pulled taut and then you know sinusoidal motion from it rotating and uh so i i ran a handful of calculators on on 2000 millimeter ball screw whip and i i think i think the critical speed at which my steppers can run is 600 RPM, which is pretty fast already for a stepper motor. And that equates to somewhere in the order of four inches a second worth of travel motion, which is far beyond what I need the machine to cut at. In fact, I think in general, my target or maximum cutting speed is half that. So I can use four inches a second as kind of my maximum rapid speed, which in an ideal world, I would like twice that to be able to have the machine zip around the table but i can deal with it being a little bit slower on its rapids it's main it's the cut speed that really matters which 120 inches a, a minute is uh what i'm really shooting for which is two inches a second so a good and, uh, a good exercise this is why i started doing my projects and um so like let's say you wanted to hit that eight inches a second um rapid yeah. speed so how big of a ball screw would you have to go and what would the price difference be? That's exactly it. Uh, like on, on the larger machines, some people opt to go with, you know, 25 millimeter or even 35 millimeter ball screws. But the price difference and the availability at that length, it's, it's orders of magnitude okay. difference, you know? So that's, uh, that's why when I was originally designing, I was like, okay, the 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 inexpensive stuff can it do the job and it can what are the concessions i have to make and it's top speed kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and perhaps a little bit of accuracy can i live with that i think so uh obviously i can i'm going forward with it you already have the parts so (laughs) i already yeah like i've already made that decision yeah I'm, i'm fully committed on this and on top of that the the critical speed may not be exactly 600 it might be 800 you know i have to i have to find out it, it, it there's a lot of factors that that like the harmonics of your machine yeah yeah exactly so whenever i get it i'll find out what its top speed is before like when it starts to whip itself to insanity and then back off like 10 percent and say that's my maximum speed you know maybe 20 percent. i don't know R- regardless the, the the main thing that rapids are useful for is if you're doing lots of production and you need to be able to zip through a ton zip of stuff through that's not cuts. the intent of these yeah that is that is not the intent of these machines at all if if i was doing two programs a day on this machine i would be ecstatic let's put it that way so i don't need it to have ridiculously fast rapids um I, I had a machine at work where rapids did matter. Like the difference between one rapid speed and another could mean, you know, 20 products the next day ready for assemblers to build. Yeah, I was sweating rapid speeds on those machines, but on this one, not really. And on top of that, with the with the how much this machine costs, if I needed more, I would just build a second machine. Like <laughs> that's yeah. that 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 doubles my rapid speeds. So, so actually, the price difference to get that rapid speed is less than another one of these. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay, yeah, so that's a good... See, that those are good exercises to do when you're doing engineering work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easily. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I could, yeah. So, uh, I, and at that point, all you need is 
square feet in your location to increase production. Yeah. Uh, so if I had two of these machines and I was cranking out, you know, five to 10 units a day between the two machines, which should be fairly easy. I mean, I'd be sitting well. Let's just put it that way. Your, your entire, you could probably not assemble them fast enough that, that what's coming off the machine. Oh, not at all. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. One person running two machines would require five to 10 people downstream to handle what's coming off the machines. Yeah. Yeah. So let's put it this way. These machines are not a bottleneck in the process. They're just more of consistency and reliability. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So the next step, I need to get all the drive electronics. I need to get all the steppers for it. I opted to go with hybrid stepper motors as opposed to just standard Joe Schmo stepper motors. Uh, that it, that does incur extra cost, but I I like what hybrid stepper motors have to offer because they're closed loop. They can offer you um, issues with, or not issues, they can um, prevent issues with losing steps and they basically ensure that you get to the place where you want to go to. They're they're like the best of not the best. They're a good medium in between just open loop stepper motor go and like a servo, servo motors, which is lots of mo- lots of money. Yeah. So, and there's just no need for a machine like this to have servo motors. Um, I don't need I don't need consistent torque at all RPMs yeah. on this thing because um, I'm running fairly slow. That's why I chose the 10 millimeter pitch on my long ball screws as opposed to the five millimeter pitch. Uh, it just kind of works out at the RPMs I'm going to run it at. I, I think for the most part, I'm going to be running at 300 or less RPM uh, for the stepper motors, which should be totally fine. So, so yeah, in the next coming months, I'm going to figure that out and figure out how I'm going to build the electronics cabinet. I kind of want to lay that all out and figure out. I Let's just put it this way. I've thought about it, but I haven't done any more work on that like i know the drives and the, the power supplies you know and what, things like that you know the guts just, that need to go in it but you don't know how you want to assemble the guts and and i don't yeah i don't know exactly how i want to do all the connectors for it i don't know how i want to run cabling for it yet i have ideas about not running e-chain like everyone does across it and instead running my cabling up to the ceiling and having it extend down on an umbilical okay that goes to the just I like that idea a little bit better because I can do dust collection and my cabling all in one bundle down to the spindle and not have to do a bunch of e-chain stuff across the the gantry and the x and y axis I don't know I haven't decided on that yet but milestone effectively what is this all boils down to is I've got a frame sitting in my basement and it's just staring at me waiting for all the rest of the stuff to get done. <laughs> so the, so medical- the goal is to have this thing moving by the by the summer, basically. So Metacolin in our chat says, uh, you should look into epoxy granite. It's a great way to increase the mass and dampen vibration. Well, okay. And it's funny you, you mentioned that. Uh, I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos on guys doing granite tables for their CNC's and it's awesome. The problem with it is this table is like 80 inches by 80 inches. If I were to pour a granite table like that, the the table would be a few thousand pounds and I've got a floating basement here. That's just particle board. I'm not going to put like two, 3000 pounds worth of stone on top of it. It would just go through the floor It'd punch. Uh, 40 millimeter by 40 millimeter holes all over your floor. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. It would just, it would just crack right through the floor. So the, uh, all said and done, I got to remember I'm cutting wood with this. I'm not cutting any kind of metal. I don't need the, that kind of rigidity. Now, if I were to build like a, a bench top, a small CNC, I would absolutely consider the epoxy sand route. Cause you can make an unbelievably stiff and rigid machine with that. And from what I've seen online or just in the YouTube videos I've watched it, it doesn't look, let's put it this way. Other people have done the hard work of testing out mixtures of sand and, and epoxy and stuff like that. And they just say, get this, mix this up and pour it in. 
obviously it's not that easy, but sounds like it's that easy. If I were to make a small be- benchtop one, I would totally it's like baking the cake at that point. It's even easier than baking cake because you don't have the oven part. <laughs> yeah, but if you get it wrong, then oh, can you imagine having yeah. to chip all that out. Uh, you 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 would basically start over. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll I'll post up some pictures of uh of the frame. We have some in our Slack channel. Yeah, there's some we'll up already. Steven was working over the weekend. I guess I could post pictures of the new truck, but it's it's do it. it it's a FedEx truck without a FedEx logo on it. Okay, so you need to drive up here and then we move my CNC into the back of the truck and take pictures of that. There you go. So Matt Collin did the math. 80 inches by 80 inches by 2 inches would weigh 1,300 pounds. And I would pour a lot more than 2 inches. <laughs> so, yeah, the, it would it would go straight through my basement floor. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to put that kind of weight in here. Okay, so let's wrap this up. All right, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Billman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. I'm using my normal voice now because I I don't remember what voice I used at the beginning. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or have suggestions for Steven CNC machine, or you've built a RV camper tow rig in the past and have suggestions for me, let us know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, that's uh, me, at Analog ENG, which is Steven, or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash Slack.